talking to my friend Drew Allen. And I'll tell you what, he's a tough guy. A millennial conservative. I've, I've become a big fan of One your writing. Of the great young thinkers of our time. Appreciate his opinion. Conservative Drew Allen. As Drew Die Allen. Conservative. I'm into this guy for wisdom. see the rest of our media join the club uh join us they're a week late but nonetheless here they are saying many of the things that we were saying a week ago reacting we're always reacting to the media reacting to the left we don't react here on the drew allen show we get ahead of things and we've got of course to we have to address this witch hunt to destroy Donald Trump that began in 2016 as we sit here on pins and needles waiting to see if the grand jury is going to indict Donald Trump for a crime that doesn't even exist. That's where we are. And this is an attack on you. This is an attack on me, and it is an attack on democracy, on our republic. The Democratic Party is no better than Vladimir Putin. They're no better than Venezuela. They're no better than any dictatorship around the world throughout world history. They are persecuting their political opponents, trying to put them in jail to take them out of the competition. They are authoritarians. They are technocrats. That's who the Democratic Party is. And they can project all day long. They can say all this garbage and spew all this baloney about MAGA is a threat to democracy and so on and so forth. But it's just projection. It's them hiding, distracting, preventing people from really staring at and studying and understanding the real threat to this country which is the Democrats. That's the reality. And, you know, I want to dispel one of the stupidest ideas that I've heard put out there by some people on our side. And it's funny because I've seen these people that I'm talking about since make comments that show that they were just saying stupid things, you know, to get some uh, attention, to get a soundbite out there. And that's this. There are two reasons, I suppose you could say, that the Democratic Party is continuing to assault Donald Trump. Now, the first possibility is that they want to prevent him from running for re-election in 2024 because they fear him. The second theory is that they are doing this because They want Donald Trump to be the nominee in 2024 because he's the easiest candidate to beat. Those are the two theories thrown out by our side. And I must tell you, the second one, while interesting, while fun, is baseless and stupid. You would have to believe or you would have to forget that the Democratic Party has been trying to destroy Donald Trump since 2016. They've been trying to get rid of him. They tried to end his presidency. They tried to Watergate him since he was elected president in 2016. And this is where there are, there are many reasons behind this. At this point, most of this is pure hatred. It's pure hatred. It's arrogance They are so frustrated and upset because the typical line of attacks that they would level at a Republican candidate or Republican president in recent American history didn't work against Donald Trump. And last episode, I talked about a rule. Rule number one, I called it, to defeat the radical left. And that is do not apologize to the left. Ever. Do not ever apologize to the left. Because the missile, the bullet that they fire at you when they make accusations and so on and so forth. It's only lethal when you, believe it or not, apologize. Until then, it's a dud. I will give you the perfect example. 2016. 
the October surprise, right? The October surprise is what either party, the Democrats or Republicans, they sit there anxiously. It's supposed to be the nuclear weapon that's the strongest thing they have to try and take out the opposing candidate before the November election. And the October surprise in 2016 was the Access Hollywood video, right? That was the video from a bygone era, circa 2005, 2006, in which Donald Trump got off a bus when he was just a television personality, The Apprentice, one of the most popular shows on TV. And he was with the interviewer that was filming him, who was baiting him, agreeing with him, saying things that were equally, quote unquote, egregious. And that was when Donald Trump made the famous comment, in, which was grab her by the you know what. And he dismissed it as locker room conversation. And the brilliance of that comment, the brilliance of that response was that everyone, every man in America knows that that is true. Every man in America has had locker room talk that you wouldn't want your wife to hear. You wouldn't want the public to hear. And this is true of general conversations. We tell off-color jokes to make people laugh. We have all sorts of different senses of humor. And you're not hurting anybody. You're not hurting anybody at all. And so isolated, it all happens. And it's innocuous. It's benign. It's even funny. But when it's put out there publicly and massaged, it's not a good look. It's not a good look. And, and, and that was supposed to destroy Donald Trump, but it didn't. And the reason it didn't destroy Donald Trump is because Donald Trump understood rule number one, never apologize to the left. You see, that attack was rendered impotent because Donald Trump didn't react the way they wanted him to. He didn't apologize. Now, here's the perfect example on the other side of how failed Republicans have been defeated by these attacks in the past. Go back to John McCain versus Barack Obama. John McCain was really making a lot of headway. Now, our memories today are such that John McCain was routed by Barack Obama, that his defeat was inevitable, but it wasn't, as a matter of fact. John McCain was sitting on a nuclear weapon, and the October surprise around that time for, for the Republicans from the McCain campaign was the shocking revelation that Barack Hussein Obama, well, his state Senate career in the state of Illinois, was born in the home of none other than Bill Ayers, an avowed domestic terrorist, the founder of the Weather Underground, which bombed federal buildings. He was on this, the FBI's most wanted list, along with his wife, Bernadine Dorn. He's an avowed Marxist, a communist, and he never apologized. In fact, later on in 2001 or so, he was interviewed with the New York Times, I believe it was, and, and he stated that my only reg regret is that we didn't do enough. Think about this. This is a man who was on FBI's most wanted list. He was a domestic terrorist. He bombed buildings in America. And years later, all he could say about it was, we didn't do enough. This was the man that hosted a fundraiser for Barack Obama. This is a man who was a close friend of Barack Obama, a communist. Barack Obama was actually chosen by the terrorist, Bill Ayers, to sit on an organization that they started in Chicago, which gave money and funds to far-left radical organizations, causes, and so on and so forth. And Barack Obama didn't apologize. Barack Obama came out and simply said, he was just a guy I knew. He dismissed it. Now, during the campaign, when he got close to November, McCain was running ads this lasted for about a week. He was running ads that were pointing all of this out to the American people, and it was devastating. And you know it was devastating to the Obama campaign and that the left was scared because they started attacking John McCain. They started calling him irresponsible. 
They started saying that he was going to stoke violence and so on and so forth. The same tactic the left always uses to get us to abandon a really successful and efficient play that's working. And what did John McCain do? Well, a week after that ad was run and the American people were shocked, well, he backtracked. During a campaign rally, you had John McCain do what? Essentially apologize. He said, actually, I just want to make sure everyone knows that Barack Obama is a good guy. We just have policy differences. He looked like a schmuck. He blew it. It's a, and this is, this is how they got John McCain to do this and essentially apologize and abandon that successful play. The left attacked John McCain's honor. The leftist media started putting out information through their various propagandist outfits that John McCain was going into the gutter by attacking Barack Obama and his association and relationship with a communist domestic terrorist. And they understood that John McCain really cared deeply about his honor. Honor was all that mattered to John McCain. And John McCain chose this faux honor over winning that election. Donald Trump rewrote the Republican playbook. We had years and years of losers like John McCain and Mitt Romney. And then Donald Trump came along and he abandoned it. You see, the left always tells us what our candidates are supposed to be. The mold they're supposed to fit. Republican candidates, I mean, Democrat candidates can do anything they want. And the media protects them and and puts out a false image of what they are. Barack Obama's not smart. He's not a great speaker. He can't speak without a teleprompter, but they tell us he's brilliant. Joe Biden. I mean, the the media has been saying over in Russia, Ukraine, that Putin was going to die from cancer. It was very, very serious. And you you just had Putin go to occupied territory and walk around with guts. And we were told that Putin was on his deathbed. Now, watching Vladimir Putin walk around in occupied territory, if you compare that image to what we see every day with Joe Biden, Joe Biden looks like he's on his deathbed. And yet, what does the media tell us? And the doctor in the White House? Joe Biden is just vigorous. He's vigorous. He's so healthy. We've never had a healthier president. There's never been an 82 or 83-year-old man in America that looked as good and spoke as well and was as smart as Joe Biden. This is how they do it. This is how they do it. So Donald Trump came along, and the left has defined our candidates for us, told us what they're supposed to be, that they're supposed to lose with dignity. And Donald Trump said, screw that. I'm here to win. That's it. All that matters is winning. I'm not going to apologize to you. I'm going to fight you tooth and nail. I'm going to ridicule you. I'm going to use the left's playbook against the left. And he won in 2016. And then the left turned around and said, look, you see what Donald Trump's doing? This is unbecoming of a Republican president. We like it better. Don't you like it better too when you lose? But at least we say, hey, we like these guys. They're honorable. And the American people, unfortunately, weren't caught up to where Donald Trump was in terms of his advanced studies of the left. And this is what we have to combat time and time again. We have to resist this temptation to let the left determine how we're supposed to be, how we're supposed to react, how we're supposed to speak. And I hear this all the time from people on our side still, especially Democrats. They'll they'll use this against us all day long, but they will say Donald Trump just wasn't presidential. He just wasn't, he wasn't presidentially, he just, that's not what we expect in a president. And meanwhile, you have Joe Biden. Is he presidential? I don't think so. So screw the left, screw the left. And we'll get to rule number two in a little bit here. But I want to weigh in on this. So the, the Democratic Party is not attacking Donald Trump because they want him to be the nominee in 2024. Please, please, please stop saying that. Please stop repeating that. It's just not true. 
In 2016, for example, people forget this. Yes, Joe Biden got the most votes of any president in American history with all the mail-in ballots and dead people. That's true. But we have an electoral college. It's not a direct democracy. If you just look at three swing states, Arizona, Georgia, and Minnesota, Joe Biden won those states by less than 50,000 votes, about 11,000 in both Arizona and Georgia, and then 20,000 or so, maybe a little bit more than that in Minnesota. And we know how they did it, the mail-in ballots and so on and so forth. This could have been prevented, what happened in 2020, but nonetheless, hindsight's 2020. But that's my point. The, the, the race was much closer than they want you to believe. It wasn't this massive landslide. What they're telling you about Trump being unpopular and unelectable is not true. We don't even really need that many independents to come over to our side to win. We just need to prevent the mail-in ballot thing or to respond by harvesting ballots ourselves and make up 10 or 11,000 votes in those states. If Donald Trump had carried those three states, he would have had 269 electoral votes. You need 270 to win, of course. But the point is, Joe Biden would have had him. I mean, it, it, was, it, was that, it was that close. It was that close. So, I told you a week ago that more than likely you should expect an indictment of President Trump. Alvin Bragg, the Soros-backed DA of New York, he decided to pursue this avenue of the grand jury. And this is just one of many attacks. There are more to come. I do not believe this is going to result in uh, an actual... Um, I mean, I guess we need to rehash this again. Indictment is not the same as guilt, right? It's like impeachment. So an indictment is the grand jury hears a case brought specifically by federal prosecutors. There is no defense in the room. And this is why I said last time, the grand jury can indict a ham sandwich. That's the joke. It's that easy. And you're in unfriendly territory, of course, with with these grand jurors who were selected from Manhattan, which is a far left city. So they get the indictment. And really what they want is the, the mugshot. They want Trump's mugshot because all of this has in the aggregate, the, the upshot is that it shields the Democratic Party and the Biden administration from the real crimes they've committed because it keeps the public's attention constantly on Donald Trump. It keeps this myth and lie alive that Donald Trump is just worse than anybody else in human history. And it was interesting what happened. I, 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 I think that there were, there were mixed reactions. I think it was Friday. I don't remember, Captain. I'm trying to recall when, he, when Trump actually came out and said, they're going to arrest me on Tuesday. Now, the likelihood is they probably won't arrest him on Tuesday. They say this grand jury meets Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, whatever. I, I think that what Donald Trump did was a stroke of genius because, look, Donald Trump doesn't want to be indicted, okay? That, that, that's not something that he wants. He doesn't want to be persecuted like this. It's true that the left is scared. They're running scared right now. They realize that their plan is backfiring, and they're the ones who are out of touch re- with reality. And I'll play a clip here of Jennifer Rubin, one of the dumbest women in America, with false credentials, proving my point in just a moment. It's them. It's the left who's out of touch. And I got a Fauci clip too, Captain. Fauci got wrecked by a black resident in D.C. This just goes counter to the whole narrative that everybody's on board with Fauci the God. I don't think so. I don't think so. But here's the thing. In New York, New York state law, if, if an indictment is imminent, New York state law allows for Basically, 
the prosecuted in this case, which would be Donald Trump, to actually have somebody he wants to come in and testify. So the upshot of him saying, hey, I'm going to be arrested on Tuesday, making that indictment so imminent is that it allowed for this surprise, last minute individual to go in there and testify before the grand jury. And it's somebody for the first time that they've heard from that's not in the tank for the left. And there was speculation. People thought that it was going to be uh, Alan Weisselberg. There was a lot of talk about it being Alan Weisselberg. He was the CFO of the Trump organization. He's spending five months in jail for something that had nothing to do with Trump, but different tax things that are very, frankly, unimportant that they got him on. And people thought it was going to be Alan Weisselberg. I I knew it wasn't going to be Alan Weisselberg. I didn't know who it was going to be, but I knew it wasn't going to be Alan Weisselberg. That wasn't going to benefit Trump in some way. So the guest, the, the... the final person that this grand jury heard from was a guy named Bob Costello. Robert Costello. Who is Robert Costello? Well, to understand Robert Costello and what happened here, you have to go back to circa 2018, 2019. Bob Costello is a friend of Rudy Giuliani. Bob Costello is a friend of Donald Trump. Bob Costello is a former prosecutor out of the U.S. Southern District of New York, the attorney's office there. So he actually was a prosecutor in the very office at one time that is now going after Donald Trump on this fake charge of campaign finance violation. Now, look, you have to understand too, Michael Cohen has an ax to grind with Donald Trump. He is a star screwer, if you will. He feels slighted. He's a media whore. He's a, he's a, he's a, he's like all these other, even Republicans who go on TV because they just want to be on CNN and be treated like rock stars, like the Adam Kinzingers, the Liz Cheney's. They don't have any honor. Michael Cohen has no honor. What, what people need to understand most, Captain, is that the big lie in the media is that Michael Cohen was put in prison because of the same campaign finance violation they're trying to say Trump is guilty of. That's not why he was put in jail. Michael Cohen made a plea deal, and he said he was guilty of something that wasn't a crime, which in this case was the campaign finance violation, which was the Stormy Daniels hush money. Michael Cohen was in debt about $22 million dollars. And he was guilty of tax fraud. Michael Cohen is a stupid person. Michael Cohen, he bought heavily in taxi medallions. Now, taxi medallions in New York City, this goes back to the 30s. When you had cars coming around, and then obviously you had taxis becoming a part of, of life and a business opportunity. Well, in order to prevent congestion in the roads... And this runaway taxi business, New York City issued medallions. So you couldn't operate a taxi without having one of these medallions. So it was a supply and demand. So these taxi medallions eventually were worth something like $1 million each. That's how valuable they were. Well, what happened about a decade ago? Uber and Lyft. Uber and Lyft, which destroyed the taxi industry. So those medallions became almost worthless overnight. Well, Michael Cohen had invested in the medallions. And so when those medallions, the value plummeted because of the other options in the city, Uber and Lyft, for example, well, he took a hit. And so Michael Cohen, what they got him on was tax fraud, not related to Trump, related to his own personal business and personal life because he couldn't afford to leverage the debt that he'd accrued because of these taxi medallions and those investments. So he was falsifying his own tax forms so as to avoid paying taxes because he couldn't afford it. That's what they got Michael Cohen on. And once they got him in the room, they got him with a plea deal to say, hey, we could stick you in jail for five years, you know, but if you plea, if you admit to guilt of campaign finance violations and incriminate Trump, 
We will soften your sentence. That is what happened here. Is this making sense, Captain? Okay. So, back to Robert Costello, Bob Costello. So, Bob Costello, look, Trump was still a loyal guy. Trump was still a loyal guy, and he did want to help Cohen to some extent. And Costello went to Cohen, having been a prosecutor for the very Southern District of New York that was going to persecute him and is persecuting Trump now. And he offered legal services. He tried to help Cohen. But Cohen didn't want Costello's help. He did, but he was talking to other lawyers. He had other people in his ear. He had other anti-Trumpers in his ear talking to him as well. He withheld information from Costello. He didn't tell Costello what other lawyers he was talking to. And so they had a fractured relationship. And so basically, Cohen chose to throw, to try and throw Trump under the, under the bus rather than take Costello's help, which was also Trump's help. And so Cohen's salty because Trump didn't give him any kind of pardon. Trump didn't do anything for the guy. And why should he? Why would he? Michael Cohen turned. Michael Cohen turned. And this is really the origins of this story. So Costello is somebody who can counter Cohen's narrative. He can speak to the lack of character that Cohen has. He has unique insight into Cohen and the plea deal that took place. He has the unique opportunity to tell this grand jury information that they haven't received because the prosecution has simply been making a case to convince these 22 or so grand jurors in Manhattan that they just got to put the noose around Trump's neck. And so by Trump coming out and saying, hey, I'm going to be indicted on Tuesday, they're going to arrest me and handcuff me. Well, it really forced the hand of Alvin Bragg to admit this final voice to come in there and testify. So in my opinion, that's what happened. And that was the brilliance of him announcing this because it used New York state law to force them to hear somebody who wasn't a leftist propagandist in that room. So we will see what happens. The left, of course, is insane. They're projecting again. They're talking about violence. Everyone's fearful of them setting up another J6 situation. Absolutely, people should be worried about that. But at the same time, it is our right to protest. We need to be careful and cautious because we know what the left is doing. But it's absurd to sit here and give up our right to protest because the left is accusing us of being violent. Well, I, th- I, had, I thought I had a clip here, Captain. I don't think I sent it over to you. I mean, I had a two-minute clip or something. It doesn't matter. Of the left just calling for violence, supporting violence, calling for protests. All around the country related to this, this and that. Go ahead and cue up cut one, Captain. I want you to hear Jennifer Rubin. Jennifer Rubin, I think she's Washington Post Rubin. But you've got Rubin here. This is her uh, with, uh, what's his name, Velshi on MSNBC. And this is her description of what's going on, which is so divorced from reality because all these people are divorced from reality. Go ahead and play cut one, Captain. Go. Well, first of all, I think he's going to be sadly disappointed because I actually think he doesn't have a very good grip on the public um, and on public uh, opinion. Um, A lot of those supporters who march in the street are in jail right now. So for one thing, he's missing some shock troops. Um, And secondly, I just don't think people are that energized about this. Um, Sure, you're going to see the usual customers squawk and make outrageous statements. And if Kevin McCarthy really thinks that the Congress has jurisdiction over a local prosecutor, then he really does have no business being in the position he is. But seriously, I think um, what we should focus on is that Trump continually calls for violence when the law closes in on him. And that really is a serious matter. And by the way, it kind of underscores why it is important to prosecute him when he breaks the law. You can't have a system in which former presidents or anyone promises, threatens violence whenever uh, they are indicted or fear that they're going to be indicted. Do you hear how she twists everything? She's describing what the Democratic Party routinely does and projecting that onto Donald Trump. Now, Donald Trump has been persecuted and they've been promising their base since 2016 that they were going to lock Donald Trump up. 
They tried it with Trump-Russia collusion. They tried it with quid pro quo. They tried it with tax information. They tried it with Stormy Daniels in the past, and it failed. They, 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 they have left no stone unturned, and yet Trump still stands. And this makes them so upset. Now, which party is it, by the way, which activates its so-called shock troops every time any threat of indictment comes their way? You see, the Democrats exclusively use their shock troops to intimidate Supreme Court justices and to demand certain policies, left-wing policies and agenda items be passed and supported. BLM, perfect example. They supported those violent protests for three months. Antifa, same thing. Joe Biden, Antifa is just an idea. Now, he can sit there and talk all day long about the Proud Boys. Trump didn't even know what the Proud Boys were. But when it comes to Antifa, oh, it's just an idea. Well, that's an interesting thing to say, given the fact that this idea is burning down courthouses across America. That's a very powerful idea, isn't it? But there's Jennifer Rubin. She can barely even talk through all the Botox and her lips and her, her face and everything else. I... I Whoever, whoever these leftists go to, the Pelosi's and everything else, their plastic surgeons, that is a good gig. The referral business alone must make somebody very, very wealthy because they clearly all use the same individual. They do a bang-up job. Jennifer Rubin. So people are starting to make the points that we've already made on this show, Captain, about how ludicrous this is. Uh, let me say this first. The Democrats and the Southern District of New York via Alvin Bragg are inventing a crime. And they're creating new laws out of thin air that don't even exist. And the point is, Michael Cohen, in his plea deal, he pled guilty to something that wasn't even a crime. And that would be this campaign finance violation. Now, Trump used his own personal money to pay Stormy Daniels and and some other woman to quote-unquote shush. Now, if he'd used campaign money, they'd be attacking him all the same. It doesn't matter what he does is the point. But the left is misconstruing campaign finance anyway. Uh, There's a great article that I remembered. It was in the crevices of my mind, and I hunted it down. It's from December 12th, 2018. And it was written, um, believe it or not, at National Review, which has since become more and more of a rag. But nonetheless, this is a good article written by Bradley Smith. And the headline of this article is Michael Cohen pled guilty to something that is not a crime, which I just said. And it's a great article. It gets into a lot of detail about things. But it talks about, so what does it mean to be for the purpose of influencing an election? They're saying, oh, well, he spent this $130,000 to pay her off. To, you know, to influence an election. Well, when you buy office space, when you buy a nice suit, when you brush your teeth, when you get your hair cut, all of those activities are intended to influence an election in some way. Now, one of the points that he makes in this is that if you are a wealthy businessman, for example, and you had a bunch of lawsuits from companies about X, Y, and Z, and they were erroneous, they were bogus, but during a campaign year, You told your attorney, look, let's just settle these things out of court because I don't want the stain of this to affect my election chance. I just don't want to deal with this during the election. That would not be a campaign finance law. The point is here, this situation with the Stormy Daniels thing, this went back a decade, 10, 11 years. It didn't come up during the election. And she, of course, was sued. She had to pay Trump's legal fees. She essentially extorted him. She signed the NDA. She was supposed to shut up anyway. And she came out, guns blazing. I'm going to wreck you. Now, in this case, there are a thousand reasons that had nothing to do with this campaign that were justification alone for Trump to engage in this. His reputation, even if he didn't win the election in terms of his career, his media career, wrecking his family, his son, Barron, his wife protecting that image, all of these things are related. And as I pointed out to the very thing that they're accusing Donald Trump of doing, 
that is so worthy of putting him in jail, Hillary Clinton did herself. She did this herself. Now, her situation is different than Trump's. But the point is, even if you want to accept this premise that, okay, Trump violated campaign finance violation here. We need to up this from a misdemeanor to a felony and put him behind bars. It's never happened before, even though campaign finance violations happen all day long. Perfect example. Everyone's talking about this one, right? I'm sure you've heard this in the media. Obama campaigned to pay $375,000 fine for omitting some donors' names in 2008. President Obama's campaign has agreed to pay a $375,000 fine to the Federal Election Commission among the largest penalties in the agency's history. The fine was imposed after an audit of the campaign's books showed that it failed to report the identities of donors who gave large checks in the weeks before the 2008 election. Well, how about that? A massive campaign finance violation from Barack Obama and his campaign. He paid a $375,000 fine among the largest in the history. No grand jury, no calls for jail. Now, cue up, cut five, Captain. I don't do this often, but I'm very proud of our work here on this show because you've heard this everywhere in the week since we said it here. Now, this is me a week ago talking about Hillary Clinton. Go ahead, Captain, and play cut five. Even if Trump was, and he's not, he's not, I explain why, but even even if he was guilty of committing some kind of campaign finance violation, the Democratic Party is trying to hang him for a jaywalking ticket. That's what this amounts to. I just want to read a couple headlines for you. This is the Hillary Clinton campaign, campaign finance violation in 2016. And this stems from the fact that she lied about what she paid Perkins Coy in terms of the Steele dossier. Remember, the Clinton campaign used the Perkins Coy law firm and Mark Elias, who's out there pretending like he's the Democrat's savior of democracy. Well, she used, and her campaign used Perkins Coy as a go-between to fund the Steele dossier, to pay for opposition research, to pay for the fake trumped up allegations like the PP tape against Donald Trump. All right. So they settled, right? So, so Hillary Clinton and her campaign were guilty of this, but in order to, you know, escape the public stain of guilt, they settled with $113,000. So Hillary Clinton's campaign and the democratic party described payments to a law firm that commissioned scrutiny of Trump Russia ties leading to the Steele dossier as legal services, not opposition research. Now, I bring this up because one of the principal allegations these losers are trying to make in front of this grand jury of likely stupid voters and and ignorant individuals is that, you know, Trump had Michael Cohen pay with his own money the $100,000 for the quote-unquote hush money, okay? And then Trump reimbursed Cohen And he delineated that as legal fees. He didn't delineate it as a hush money payment, which is stupid. You wouldn't do that anyway. And this kind of stuff happens all the time. All right. And so, so Hillary Clinton here in her campaign, well, guess what? They paid the Perkins Coy law firm for opposition research, but they delineated it as legal services. And so The Democrats aren't upset about this at all. Well, there you have it. Still true today, and now everyone's saying it everywhere. I remembered something else since then to make another point, another brilliant, astute point. Before I make that point, shout out to one of our friends that listens, Captain he noted on my Substack that last episode, as I was recovering from illness, I believe, I was saying, you know, a lot. And I'm a humble person, and he's right. And I heard it there a couple times, too. But he told me it's distracting from my message. So I'm being very careful today, really introspective, pausing enormously, 
to avoid saying, you know, but he's right. That is unbecoming of a broadcast professional like we are, Captain. So shame on me, onwards and upwards. Okay. So we've established all the things that the media is talking about now. Now, here is something the media is not talking about that they'll be talking about tomorrow, but we'll do it here first. Lost in all of this conversation about these attacks on Trump and this looming indictment and so on and so forth about the Stormy Daniels payment. Very upset. Campaign finance. He was influencing his election by making these payments and he tried to cover it up. He tried to cover it up. My goodness, how dare he try and pay off these women who were trying to extort him and not tell the Democrats that he was doing it. Congress, Congress, they have paid out over $17 million in settlements for sexual harassment. Did you know this? Did you know there is a specific fund in Congress that has been around for many, many years and there is so much rampant sexual harassment by members of Congress that they have a fund that is filled with taxpayer money to pay off the women to shut up. Let's not let them forget that this exists. This is from CNN. You see, I always use the left sources. Always use the left sources. Occasionally, they report things and wish it didn't exist. So, I'll just read to you. Two things have become painfully clear on Capitol Hill. Lawmakers and staffers say sexual harassment is rampant. But even members of Congress have no idea just how widespread the problem is. The controversial and sensitive issue has taken center stage in Congress, with female lawmakers making fresh allegations of sexual harassment against unnamed members who are currently in office. My, my, who are these secret sexual harassers? Will we ever get to the bottom of this and know their names? No, they're making these hush money payments using our tax dollars and not telling us who these sexual harassers are in Congress. Shouldn't we know that information? Or are they trying to protect their campaigns and don't want us to know about what they've done? So far, there's been little specific data to help illuminate just how pervasive sexual harassment is on Capitol Hill. But one figure has emerged. The total that the Office of Compliance the office that handles harassment complaints has paid to victims. The Office of Compliance released additional information indicating that it has paid victims more than $17 million since its creation in the 1990s. That includes all settlements, not just related to sexual harassment, but also discrimination and other cases. Bullet points. When was this money paid out? According to a report from the Office of Compliance, more than $17 million has been paid out in settlements over a period of 20 years, 1997 to 2017. How many settlements have there been? According to Office of Compliance data released, there have been 268 settlements. 268 settlements amounting to $17 million have been paid by taxpayers to Hush, victims of sexual harassment and discrimination from our own members of Congress. I think this is a far more serious issue, one that deserves far more attention and concern than Donald Trump paying $130,000 to the hooker, Stormy Daniels. So all this conversation, Trump is so bad. Trump paid this hush money to Stormy Daniels with his own money. And yet we have 268 settlements, 268 totaling $17 million that congressional representatives aren't even forced to pay with their own money. They are allowed to harass sexually other people and then use tax dollars to silence them.
You see, this is the real state of America. This is the real state of politics. This is the real state of the individuals who are calling for Donald Trump's head. Covering up their own offenses day in and day out. And this information isn't even shared with other members of Congress. It's very silent. $17 million in hush money paid to victims of sexual harassment and discrimination with taxpayer dollars for members of Congress who have committed crimes. And we don't know their names. We don't know the victims. What do we do? Well, before we move on to a couple other stories here, cue up cut for Captain. I truly believe I am one of the more objective voices in the arena with regards to criticism and praise of DeSantis or Trump. I have enthusiastically and in a very straightforward manner on this show behind this microphone for months and months and months discussed pros and cons of candidates. And I have said that I really advocate for robust primary. I have my own opinions about Trump still being the most formidable candidate. I have my criticisms of him. I've talked about his Achilles heel being this vaccine and his relationship with Pfizer. That is a real problem for him that he's going to have to confront at some point. But I've said I want a robust primary. I don't want any anointing of Donald Trump. I think that I've said the bloodier and the more brutal our primary is, the better. The better. And what I've noticed that's very interesting that has taken place is for the many people that were once strong, vociferous Trump supporters, you could call them even only Trumpers. Well, they have become dissatisfied, disenchanted with Donald Trump. That's fine. They have their personal reasons for it. But they criticize people who are only Trumpers now as being some kind of mindless robots who are members of a cult that will just overlook anything. They'll just defend Trump no matter what. They, they don't have any level of objectivity or reason. And yet these same people are now showing themselves to be DeSantis cult members. They're showing themselves to be only DeSantis people. And it's peak hypocrisy, if you will. DeSantis is a phenomenal governor. And he still has a bright future in the Republican Party. He's been an amazing advocate for conservatism in Florida. He has obviously converted a lot of people and obviously invited a lot of people to move there based on his staunch stance on freedom. But he just got his first big national test. His first big national test. And as important as all the issues in Florida are and around the country with regard to woke companies, with regards to protecting our children and parental rights that DeSantis has been such a strong proponent of and defender of, Well, when it comes to one of the most significant issues in America, which is the third world-like tactics of the Democratic Party to weaponize the Justice Department and DA offices around the country to persecute their political opponents simply because they don't like them and want to prevent them from running and to sully them, DeSantis gave his weakest response yet. And if DeSantis doesn't rectify this, in my humble opinion, I think that what you're going to hear in this clip that follows is not just any hopes DeSantis might have had for getting the Republican nomination for, for president in 2024, of that just going away completely. I think that this is so significant that it could prevent his future ambitions as well. 
Because rule number two in the new playbook to defeat the left. Rule number two is that when you are engaged in a war with the left, you always protect your own. Leave no Republican soldier behind. And DeSantis leaves Trump behind. He leaves Trump behind. And I'll break down what he says because I know what the people that are in the DeSantis cult are saying, trying to defend this, and there's no defense for what he does here. And I'll point it out in a moment. But we are talking about a grave threat to the nation, the unprecedented arrest of a former president, booking him, getting his fingerprints, simply because the left doesn't like him, simply because the left views him as their opponent and somebody who could possibly defeat them in an election. And if a Republican, any Republican cannot come out and use this episode to attack the left, to expose them for the dictators and tyrants that they are, and to in and in completely unapologetic terms defend Donald Trump in this, whether you like him or not, you don't have a future in national politics. You aren't strong enough to do what's necessary to save this country. Go ahead and play cut three. Or cut, cut four, Captain. Go. In terms of um, our, 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 we are not involved in this, won't be involved in this. Uh, I have no interest in getting involved in some type of manufactured circus by some Soros DA. Okay? He's trying to do a political spectacle. He's trying to virtue signal for his base. Uh, I've got real issues i got to deal with here in the state of Florida. We're obviously shutting down. Uh, CBDC, which is important. We've got so many things pending in front of the legislature. Uh, I've got to spend my time on issues that actually matter to people. Uh, I can't spend my time uh, worrying about uh, things, things of that nature. So, so we're not going to be involved in it in any way. Um, I'm fighting for Floridians, and I'm fighting back against Biden. That's what I do every single day. Yep. Now, look. I, I will I will be as reasonable in my response to this as is humanly possible. I understand that DeSantis has been, I think, really unfairly attacked by the Trump camp for, well, many times, many times. I don't like it. I, I don't like the the approach. I think that most Americans understand a majority of Republicans and conservatives Whenever Trump comes out and attacks Ron DeSantis, most of us, the reaction is kind of the Reagan doctrine, right? The the 11th commandment. You know, don't say an ill word about others in your party. But Ron DeSantis, if he wants to run the country, if he wants to lead the conservative movement, he has to be bigger than personal differences. Now, that's fine. Most people... Most of us could sit here and say, why should I do anything? Why should I help out Trump when he's just been attacking me? Well, you want to be president. You want to be a leader. And leadership requires putting aside any kind of personal differences when it comes to the war itself. You see, there is a tier system of issues in this country. There is inner party uh, fighting between amongst ourselves. There are the issues in Florida. Then there are national issues. And there are different skirmishes taking place in the culture wars and the economic wars across the board. And at the end of the day, the left wants nothing more than to divide us. They are actively involved in trying to meddle in our own primary. They want Ron DeSantis to, to run for president and announce because they want a lot of turmoil in the party. There's a lot going on here. And at the end of the day, I keep saying it's fine to argue amongst ourselves and bicker in the family, which is conservatives and Republicans, about what's right for our party. But it needs to be exclusive to us. Don't go attacking DeSantis, Trump, to Democrats, to other people. Don't apologize for any of them. Amongst ourselves, it's fine and helpful. But outside of that, we're weakening ourselves. And whatever attacks we have, whatever different disagreements we have, all of us have to be prepared to unite Unite 
without any kind of inhibition, without any hesitation or reservation around the eventual nominee in the Republican Party. We have to be strong, and we have to be stronger than the left to take them on. And Ron DeSantis, maybe he doesn't want to run for president in 2024. I don't know, but it's really irrelevant to this issue because every American, every American understands the significance and the grave threat that this represents to our republic itself, what they're doing to Donald Trump. And so regardless of how you feel, everyone should be, it should come very easily to us to come out and denounce this for what it is. The persecution of a political opponent, the weaponization of the Justice Department, complete injustice. And Ron DeSantis says this doesn't really matter. He's focused on Florida. Well, Ron, Governor, you're wrong. Perhaps nothing matters more than this. And if he thinks for a second that this isn't going to be turned around and weaponized against him in the future, he's got another thing coming as well. That's the problem. And what Republicans really need to do in the House is they need to impeach Biden yesterday. You see, the whole... You have to be strategic about things. Understand that what the Democrats are doing right now, you have this investigation, they're hoping for an indictment. It's all about labels. It's all about labels. So they celebrate that Trump is twice impeached. Now he was twice acquitted, but impeachment has a very negative connotation. So he's impeached, Biden's not. If they can get an indictment of Trump, even if he's found not guilty in a trial down the road, they can say Trump has been indicted, the first president in American history to be indicted. Now they've got others in the works too. You have the phony DA investigation into election interference or trying to overturn the election results in Georgia. That's going on right now. You've got the special counsel, Jack Smith. Well, he is continuing the work of the now defunct, abolished J6 committee in addition to the classified document scandal. All of these things are intended to take us up until the election. They're backup plans. They're the current plans. They're plans A, B, C, D. They're all about sulling Trump. And so you have to understand nationally, the way this narrative is going to play out is that Trump is unelectable because he's the first president to be indicted, right? It doesn't matter. Remember for the left, the accusation of guilt is enough. It doesn't matter again that he was twice impeached and twice exonerated. For them, he's still twice impeached. If they can get the indictment here, he'll be indicted. And that carries a very negative connotation. And so what they need to do is get the articles of impeachment written and sent to the Senate and have the trial. You only need the House for the articles of impeachment. Will you get a guilty verdict in the Senate? Probably not. But they didn't get a guilty verdict of Trump either. But you will take a weapon away from them, which is to say that Donald Trump has been twice impeached. Yeah, well, we've got a a battle of the impeached presidents in 2024 now, don't we? Sully his name. And much of this, of course, is a distraction as well. Of course, the timing of this, we just have the revelations that we have actual bank accounts that show payments from the communist Chinese to Biden family members totaling more than a million dollars. And I would remind you that the whole premise of the Democrats' attacks into Donald Trump since 2016 was that he was somehow compromised, <clears throat> that he had a relationship with a bank in Russia. That's what it was, some kind of financial ties that tied him to Russia, and Russia interference was vague and nebulous and it was made up. But they didn't have any actual credible evidence. They didn't have any bank account information that linked Trump to the Kremlin. And they still wanted him put in jail for it. And now you have Joe Biden. Forget Trump-Russia collusion. You have, you have Biden-China corruption and bribery. And we actually have the, rest, the receipts and we have the information. I mean, this would be a dream for Democrats if they'd had this with Trump, but he was not guilty. And we have those goods and we need to impeach him and we need to impeach him now. Because you have to put them on the defense. Otherwise, we're going to be left in this position for the next year plus in which Trump is constantly attacked. Trump is constantly being indicted for this and that with these grand juries and witch hunts. And Joe Biden gets to appear blameless. 
It's important that they move on this now. It's important these investigations happen because really this is the battle. I'm just telling you the way it is. Who's the most corrupt? Who's the most corrupt? Impeach him. All right, Captain Q up. I want to hear you get here. I want you to hear Fauci just get wrecked here. It's amazing. Fauci gets wrecked by a black resident of D.C. So I don't know. I mean, this is the false fantasy land that these people live in. They really think that they're popular. They really think that they're impressive. They really think that they're respected because they only go on CNN and they surround themselves by sycophants. But Fauci took a walk around D.C. with the D.C. mayor, Muriel Bowser, to do this campaign to get black people vaccinated, to ask them if they were vaccinated. I don't know what they were thinking, but Fauci just gets wrecked. Go ahead and play that cut, Captain. Go. People in America are not settled with the information that's been given to us right now. So I'm not going to be lining up taking a shot on a vaccination for something that wasn't clear in the first place. And then you all create a shot in miraculous time. It takes years to... Well, it, it used to take years. Okay, it used to. You know how you know how many years were invested in this in this approach? About twenty years of science to get us to be able to years do it. Not quickly. enough. And nine months is definitely not no. enough for nobody to be taking no vaccination that yeah. you all came up with. The only yeah. reason I'm talking to you right now, as close as we are, is that I've been vaccinated. Right. But if it allow thousands of people like you don't get vaccinated, you're going to let this virus continue to percolate in this country and in this world. Something like the common flu then, right? And, and not like, not it's like much the more serious flu. than the flu. Though. Well, the flu kills a lot of people annually yeah. too. You, you know how many people died of the flu the last year? I mean, not this year, virtually none, but the previous year, about 20 to 30,000. You know, how many people have died from COVID-19 in the United States? 600,000 Americans. Well, you, well, that, well the, the number that you all given that died, that's, that's once again, that's you all's number. You gonna pass. Yeah, definitely. Because right. when, when you start talking about paying people to get vaccinated, when you start talking about incentivizing things to get people vaccinated, there's something else going on with that. Something yeah, else. It's something I, else going on. It is something going on. You're right. But I'm glad millions of people like me and most everybody here didn't get an incentive. You know what their incentive was? Protecting their health and protecting the city. Well, but that, I, well, well, I won't keep okay, doing it's anymore. It's okay. Thank my, you my, my, my incentive, y'all campaign is about fear. It's about inciting fear in people. You all attack people with fear. That's what this pandemic is. It's a fear. It's fear, this pandemic. That's all it is. Oh, you, you see him scurrying away like rats, like little rats that they are. And God bless that guy. And there's a lot of people that feel that way. And he's right on all accounts. But listen to Bowser and Fauci, the way they try and guilt him and make him seem like he's some kind of horrible person. I mean, we know that they've lied. They have no shame whatsoever. He puts facts right in their face. Fauci, of course. Well, you know, you know, the flu. I mean, I mean, we, we, we some seasons we have 60,000 people die and there are 41 million people hospitalized with the flu. So he can go screw off. I mean, this is the guy that said that HIV was passed by close contact. So Fauci is not the, the genius that he purports to be and the media claims he is. But... That's her response. Well, you know, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, there's something going on here. You just don't care about your community. You don't care about your community. But thankfully, most people do care about their communities. That's what they think of not just black people, but that's what they think of the American people. And do me one more, do me another favor here, Captain. Cue up cut three. I want you to hear Fauci in this candid moment talking about Republicans. This is the guy who continued to try and claim that he was not partisan at all. But here's the real Fauci. Play it, Captain. Go. What are we going to do about those other states? Oh, my God. They're going to keep the outbreak smoldering in the country. It's so crazy. I mean, they're not doing it because they say they don't want to do it. They're Republicans. They don't like to be told what to do. And 
we gotta break that, you know, unpack that. How you guys doing with vaccine? We've got to break that. Republicans don't like to be told what to do. There's your attitude from the dictators. There it is, right out in the open. They are your master and you are their slave. And we've got to break your independent spirit. And that's really what the vaccine mandates were all about to begin with. Breaking your soul, crushing your, your, your self-determination and will, and telling you, that you do not have control over your life and that you will be subservient to us or we will punish you. So there they are. These are our our rulers that are holding us captive day in and day out. And uh, I don't know. I just I just love to see it. I love to see them getting wrecked, going into what they think is friendly territory, only to realize that they better run for the hills. So that's that. All right. Well... This is the first of actually a series today, right? We've got Zelenko Report coming up next. Stick around. You don't want to miss that with Ann Vandersteel. Brilliant, brilliant show. We got the loaded mic. After that, we got Patriot Review. And we got everything home. So it's a great lineup today of broadcasting. You don't want to miss those shows. So many, I learn a lot from them as well. And, uh, and, and we're blessed to have so many Patriots out there trying to get the word out. All right, everybody. This is Drew Allen, your millennial minister of truth. I can't wait to see what the, um, my best friend says on Facebook, Captain. I can't wait for it. I'm going to have to come up with something. You know, Rush Limbaugh had Rio Linda. I got to figure out what that guy's name is, and I'll address the naysayers using his name in the future. He'll be famous. He'll be famous, and I love it. All right, God bless you all, and until next time. Talk to my friend Drew Allen. I'll tell you what, he's a tough guy. A millennial conservative. I've, I've become a big fan of One your writing. Of the great young thinkers of our time. Appreciate his opinion. Conservative Drew Allen. Has Drew Allen. I look to this guy for wisdom.